the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Spend time studying God's Word, and we end up gaining a little bit of knowledge about who He is. The problem is, once we gain a little bit of knowledge, we think we know Him all too well. And today's passage reminds us we really don't. Just how much we know of God really belies the fact of how little we really know about God. Hi there. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We're in Job chapters 25 and 26 today, picking up where we left off yesterday, looking at the outskirts of God's way. In other words, what we're realizing here in this passage before us in Job is the fact that as much as we know about God, we really know very little. In fact, somebody once said, the, the more I get to know God, the more I realize how little I know about him. At the end of the day, the view that we have of God really is minuscule compared to God himself. Join us for more, won't you? Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. He says to Bill Dad, in effect, as well as to his other two friends, are, are you helping me at all here? I know I have no strength in and of myself. Do you think I'm keeping up this debate with you, this contest with you out of pride? Don't you think I know that I don't have any wisdom to understand what's happened to me? Look at me. I'm covered with boils. My children are dead. Everything I had has been taken away. Why Are you talking to me like this? Your words are suffocating me to death. You're not helping me at all. Well, I can understand where Job is coming from. And all of us probably can a little bit. He was a godly man. And he did believe in God's majesty. I mean, why else did Job live such a godly life? He he believed in God's purity. Why did he offer sacrifices? Because he knew he was a sinner and he needed cleansing. Job believed these things. But Job was also hurting. And he didn't have any thought of going into God's presence and debate with him. Trying to bring him down from his throne. But he wanted an answer to his trials. Lord, why does a man who fears you get treated like this? I don't understand it. I want you to come and talk to me and restore me to the sweet fellowship that we had before. Now before we look at what Job Job says, I want to correct him a little bit here. Because it's interesting to me that in chapter 25 and what Job says in chapter 26 is clearly anticipating what Elihu is going to say and is clearly anticipating what God is going to say At the end of this book, let me explain. 
We've noticed before that God never answers Job's conundrum, Job's questions, such as, why would you treat a righteous man like this? God never answers that question. Why do the godly suffer? God does not answer that question. Why do the wicked seem to get away scot-free and never seem to get punished and never seem to go through the things that the godly men go through? God never answers that question. What does God do? He does the very thing Bildad does here in one respect. And that is he reveals something of his majesty to Job, which I think is instructive for us because we live in an age that thinks there is an answer to everything. If there is a disease, find an answer. If there is some kind of limitation to our resources, find an alternative. Is my nose crooked? Then we need to fix it. Whatever it may be, there is an answer for everything because what? We, we, we can fix it. Throw enough money at it. Throw enough technology at it. Throw enough education at it. We can get away from the curse. We can get away from the brokenness of life on our own. One of the things I really like about these two chapters and what is so challenging about the last third of the book that we are now entering into is the fact that I think God is teaching us something here that is just so important to give us peace and to calm our hearts and to stable our minds in the midst of our troubles. And that is this. You and I don't need answers. As much as we need humility before God. We don't have to understand why is this happening to me. Beloved, we may never understand. And in heaven, we'll probably never remember that it even happened to us. So that is not what we need. We are worms. Bildad is right. God has made us and He loves us and we are His children. But so much of what God does in the world and in our lives has as its purpose not to clear the way for us so that we understand everything, that everything makes perfect sense in our puny little minds. He allows the wicked to prosper. He allows the godly to suffer, to put us on our face before Him, worshiping Him. We need to just think, Lord, your will, not mine. I don't have to understand. My job is to love you, to know you, to walk with you, to cling to you. And my friends, that is what brings us joy. Now, it's kind of a weird joy. You know, it's not an amusement park joy. It's not going to a great movie kind of joy. It's not, oh, you know, they just upgraded my favorite app joy. It's not that kind of joy. But it is a joy that comes when we are in harmony with God. 
It's a joy that comes in recognizing that He is God and I am not. So I don't have to take the burden of the world upon my own shoulders as if I can't understand this. Or I can fix my wife or my husband or my children or my circumstances. God has never put that on my shoulders. Or that we can heal ourselves and fix everything in life. We can't. God just wants us to be still. And know that He is God. And therefore be faithful to Him in the little things every day. We must be careful, students, of His Word. Of His doctrine, precepts, comforts, and promises. We must better apply them to ourselves so that we can help others, unlike Job's friends. We must be humbled by God's truth, be in daily fellowship with the Lord and watching unto prayer. For these are the foundation of Christian life and fellowship. Job begins his response to Bildad in verse 5 with the glory of God in the depths of the earth. He says, under the seas, God forms dead things, or actually giant creatures, as the Hebrew Rapha signifies, R-A-P-H-A. Under the oceans dwell prodigious creatures, many which are still only known to God. Our occasional glimpses of some of them should remind us that the world is teeming with God's wonders. Whatever our science may tell us, if it does not ascribe these wonders to God's power, it is blind atheism. Still deeper in verse 6, God knows all the secrets of hell. It's naked before Him. He is its maker and knows all of its ghastly depths above the earth. He has stretched out the skies like a curtain above that which we call space. And it's not infinite, though its limits are known only to God. And in this voice, God has set the earth upon nothing. Verse 7. And this should make us realize that our safety is dependent every moment upon the hand of God, who has determined to uphold our earthly home upon nothing but only His power and His will. The clouds above us are filled with water, which is a glorious testimony to God's power. For if you know your science, water is much heavier than air. But the Lord causes it to hold in the water as in a bag to be emptied at His pleasure. We see that in verse 8. Higher than all his throne is hidden behind a cloud from which he judges and rules all things. Verse 9. And to think, beloved, this God, we can draw near to his throne as a place of grace and refuge. What mercy our God has shown to us. Verse 10. He holds back the water of the earth and the boundaries he has set for them. You know, unbelieving men increasingly speak of the earth's seas rising and engulfing the lands. California is going to fall into the sea. 
But this is only their fear talking. And we must never listen to them. The oceans do as God directs, not as man speculates. When he wishes, he sends the mighty storms that shake the heavens. Yes, verse 11. Psalm 114, 3 and 4 tell us that at his bidding, the seas are divided and their proud waves are scattered before his majesty. Verse 12. By the quickening work of the Spirit, he has dotted the heavens with sparks of God's majesty. The stars belong to him. And he has named them all. Now again, descending to the depths, God has formed the crooked serpent, which is the same word that's used for Leviathan in Isaiah 27.1. And it most likely refers to the great sea creatures. Oh, my friends, since the pavement leading to God's throne is paved with such glory, we cannot fathom it. And so he then turns to an earthly creature of such size and strength that we are left dumbfounded before God's great power. Creatures that we cannot tame, beloved. He directs directs and holds by a leash. And so does he uphold our lives and protect them every moment. False science has done all it can to undermine the wonder of these verses. But God's works, Psalm 111.2 tells us, are sought out by all who take pleasure in them. He shepherds his people through the morass of lies that pass for truth and intelligence. Many men spend all of their lives uh, and a big pile of other people's money studying nature as they call it. But they never come one inch closer to understanding the truth. And the truth is that God has made all these things and He is in control alone. It's not the secrets of nature we should aim to understand, my friends, but the glory of God who made all these things. When nature is studied for its own sake, God is left out in the cold. He's robbed of his rightful honor. Science then becomes dangerous for as it delves deeper into God's secrets, it assumes an authority and a power he has never given to man. He has revealed his glory in the universe. The more we understand of the working of the human body, the earth, and the scary skies, the more we should praise and serve the Lord. If we do not, we have learned nothing at all. Our so-called knowledge will serve only to flatter our pride and lead us deeper into intellectual and spiritual blindness. The very reason God has revealed His glory in the created world is to humble our hearts to encourage us That he has made and takes care of all things. And then to fill our hearts and tongues with praise to him. Now humility is perhaps the chief lesson here. When I consider the heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon, the stars, which thou hast foreordained. 
But as man that thou art mindful of him. And the son of man that thou visitest him. Words of wonder. This glorious, peaceful, and wonderful God who made all things is mindful of us. He has visited us in his son and redeemed us from our sins. Oh, we must love and serve him who made this whole universe, stretched out the heavens as a curtain, calls the stars by name, and directs their course. He takes care of his works, all of them, and he will certainly take care of us. You must trust in this, beloved. Job believed in this. He was no idle gawker or cold student of God's works. He reveled in the glory of God and all the works of his hands. He loved the Lord for his earthly blessings. But he did not allow the gifts to obscure the glory of the giver. He could not understand the reason God was judging him so severely. But throughout his sufferings, he continued to seek the Lord. He he clinged to him. Consider, beloved, the heavens. Look at the stars. On those nights, you can see them. Watch the squirrel that scampers by your path. Behold the flight of the birds. It is God who does all these things. And he is testifying to us in it all. Every moment. That this is his world. That he feeds feeds man and beast. And that we are always secure in his hands. Then when we do not understand his ways. When an asteroid of trouble hurtles toward us, remember that God controls its trajectory. Nothing happens anywhere that is apart from his will, directed by his wise hand and intended always to bring good to his people. Should we not trust him? Devote our lives to his praise and endure our sufferings patiently and with hope that our glorious God holds them and us in his hands. Trusting him, we can live in peace, not without sorrow and pain, at least yet, but with firm assurance of our Father's love and watchful care over our lives. Last verse, verse 14. Behold, these are parts of his ways, but how little a portion is heard of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Telescopes and microscopes have not in the least weakened the power of this closing line. All that we see does not exhaust God's power and majesty. All we see does not exhaust God's power and majesty. We are only at the edge or outskirts of his ways. As much as we might see in a lifetime, as much as we might discern of his workings in the universe, these do not diminish one iota the glory of God. 
He is so grand and so big and majestic, so infinite and inexhaustible that His words can never be exhaustively told, fully understood, or even cataloged. It is said of the Lord that the world could not contain the books that would be required to record all His words and works. John twenty-one twenty-five. And he lived on earth, beloved, but for a short period of time. Never should worms and grasshoppers like us think we can exhaust the fullness of God's glory, whether in creation or in our own redemption. What a rebuke, verse 14, is to our arrogance. We must ever remember our smallness, our our neediness, and God's greatness. Otherwise, pride will surge against our souls. We shall think ourselves to be the masters of the universe if we make some feeble progress in understanding His words or our world or ourselves. What little we hear or understand truly of Him. The greatness and glory of God is the only preventative to pride. Carelessness with His word. And coldness in worship. Since it is easy to get lost when talking about the unsearchable greatness of God. We need to hear the thunder. We need to observe his power. And as you look around, it's easy enough. We cannot begin to fathom the thunder clap clap that shakes the heavens and the earth. We are surrounded with God's glory. Oh, let us stand in awe of him. Then we will not be so perplexed by our troubles. Remember, God has brought them for his purposes. And we may never understand. Of course, we cannot understand his ways. But we must respect them, fear him, and trust that he is our loving father. Before God, all the nations are but a drop in the bucket. And He is shaking the heavens and the earth in His Son, and all things will come together according to His will for His glory and the good of those who place their love in Him. And He is drawn near to us in love and mercy. Think on that, beloved. He who has created all things out of nothing and who sovereignly controls all of those things according to his good pleasure, has set his love on you and I, and draws us close to himself. You, a worm, deserving nothing except by his grace alone. If we believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and apply his word to all areas of our life, Oh, we will have peace and we will have sweet fellowship with him. And we will have a firm hope that nothing will overturn his hand that is upon us. Oh, do men threaten his church? Well, that's bad for them. Do they mock his word? Yes, and he sits in the heavens and he laughs at them. Is one of his children languishing in prison or in a sick bed or with barely enough to eat? God knows it. 
and he will provide. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Scripture says he is our healer, our protector, our strength, our salvation. And he loves us. And it is enough that he has given us his son. He is the anchor of our soul within the veil of the presence of the glorious God. Through Christ we can draw near to God with confidence and assurance of his favor. We do not need to understand what we're going through at a particular time because we cannot. All we need is to understand that our glorious God is our Father who watches over us with increasing vigilance and soon, much sooner than we realize we will be with Him. Amen. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 40 8665607 that's 4088665607 our website where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us is reformedheritage.org and then of course you can write to us at pmb that stands for post mailbox number 402 1484 pollard road los gatos california the zip code is 95032 Now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Mm